and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am once again not Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. Tyler Smith is on assignment. You are who? Scott and I, editor Ed- at large. Editor at large. Uh, and uh, yeah, like I said, Tyler Smith is on assignment. Um, that's actually kind of true this time. He's yeah. representing. Usually it's a lie that you tell people <laughs> yeah, to usually. make Tyler's life sound more adventurous and exciting. Yeah, but Tyler like he's is off the... in a jungle somewhere. Uh, what's he doing? Oh, like he's off in a jungle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, whereas usually he's what? What is he usually doing when we uh, um, say this? He's on vacation with family, I think. Okay, yeah. Well, here he's Tyler is representing both Battleship Pretension and his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, at the International Christian Film Festival in uh, Orlando, uh, California. No, Orlando <laughs> nope. is in Florida. Other side. Um, the Sunshine State, not the Golden State. Uh, <laughs> kind of interchangeable, really. They should come I'm up just with better officially slogans. That's their. Yeah. Every state has an official. Right. But, you know, it's pretty interchangeable. Yeah. What's Massachusetts? I don't remember. I lived there for four years. I have no idea. Okay. What's Oregon? No idea. Beaver <laughs> State? Uh, that sounds right. Uh, I'm from St. Louis, the show me state. Um, St. Louis is not the name of the state. Missouri is, but there was a cord in my way. The uh, show me state? The show me state. Like, yes. show me the money? That's uh, not where it comes from, um, right? But, but like, it, is, it is one of those I'm things. I'm making sure where, I get the spelling right. Yeah, it is one of those things where people like. There's not really a hard and fast story of where it comes yeah. from. But the basic idea is that Missourians uh, aren't going to believe. They're not going to take you at your word. Okay. It's like I, I need to see the proof. Is the idea? I'm, I don't think that actually holds true of most Missourians, especially right. as they become more and more uh, <laughs> uh, Fox Newsy. Right. Uh, since I, in the time that I've left. Sure, sure. But um, I like to imagine that from. somebody was setting up Missouri and just trying to sell it to people. And as people are coming in, they're like, "All right, show me." And that's where that got started. A <laughs> bunch of very uh, skeptical people gradually being sold on Missouri. Uh, yeah, you know what? That's probably how people still react to yeah. Missouri and St. Louisans definitely have a chip on their shoulder about it I mean, because that's why I've been to St. Louis is okay. Uh, no, St. Louis is great. Uh, I mean, it's a great place to be from. It's a very, a lot of history. Yeah. Um, it was the gateway to the West. So I've heard, um, it's the beginning of the Lewis and Clark trail. Yeah. All of these things that make very apparent. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and also obviously home of the St. Louis Cardinals, obviously the second most winning team in major league baseball. Uh, anyway, okay. <laughs> we're way off track that's uh, how it goes also home of the St. Louis Blues who are currently as of this recording uh, knotted up at two games apiece with the Dallas Stars in the second round of the okay. NHL playoffs go Blues and also go to tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com <laughs> is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great and they sound great. And Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Uh, we got to get you a pair. Uh, I have uh, one somewhere. Um, yeah, I also okay. don't listen to a lot of music on earbuds right now because I don't listen at work. Uh, oh, right. You probably can't. Yeah. yeah can't. I, I listen all day at work. That's when I that's when I do my listening. And uh, I don't know what I was listening to. Uh, you know what? In anticipation of Rocket Man coming out at the end of the month, I was listening to Elton John today and it sounded great on my tweet. You didn't need to bring in a probably bad movie and uh, an excuse to listen to Elton John. No, that's true. I, I listen to Elton John a lot because yeah. he's uh, fantastic. Um, it was one of the first things my mom and I like agreed on. Like as I got old, when I was young, I didn't like Elton John. Right. I was sure. like, oh, can you feel the love tonight? <laughs> yeah. Bullshit totally. or whatever, you know? And then I was like too punk for it. Right. And then like, as I got into realizing that like the, especially like the early Elton John, you know, is really good stuff. Yeah. And basically my mom, like the two CDs that were 
had the most rotation on mom's car uh, were Elton John's greatest hits and Abba's greatest hits, which is right on both fantastic. Right. And so that was something after, after an entire childhood <laughs> of me not liking anything my mom listened to. Yeah. She liked, my mom also likes, uh, Andrew, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Jesus Christ. Superstar. Okay. I like some show tunes. I've never been an Andrew Lloyd Webber guy. I'm with you there. Um, and so that was uh, always, a uh, like, I think even as a teenager, when I was like getting into musicals and, and she was like, Oh, you should listen to right. Jesus Christ Superstar. I think she was like disappointed that I didn't like Understandably. it. <laughs> um, uh, Finally thought but, her punk son was developing <laughs> taste. Turns out. Uh, no, punk rock is where I got my taste. Okay. Um, you had, I'm saying I, from I guess, her perspective. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, but uh, it sounded good in my tweakedaudio.com earbuds that are available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Uh- Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Uh, now, Scott, this is normally the point where I would ask Tyler to introduce our guest, but I think I'm going to take uh, the reins here. Yeah, to be honest, I forgot his name until I walked off. I was like, <laughs> I should probably would look up his name. Um, I do know his name. I did, however, forget the name of his book. It's but, quite long. Uh, <laughs> the subtitle is very long. Uh, but you've written a book that is for 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 cinephiles who listen to this show uh the part that's important is that it has a lot to do with a uh under scene in the u.s 1976 documentary called el desencanto or the disenchantment um it's that the movie is now playing not it's it's touring around with you pretty much around the 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 u.s playing at different places now uh you wrote a book about it i'm sure you'll tell us the name of the book in a second uh in your name is Aaron Shulman. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And thanks for sitting quietly while Scott and I talked about bullshit <laughs> for five no, minutes. No problem. Uh, um, sorry, uh, remind me of the name of the of the book. Yeah, my, so my book is called The Age of Disenchantment, The Epic Story of Spain's Most Notorious Literary Family and the Long Shadow of the Spanish Civil War. Uh, a bit and, of a mouthful. So, uh, luckily, Scott and, Scott and I... Um, <laughs> Scott and I it's, is his name. It's Scott a and I. common problem with people saying <laughs> yeah. that. Scott and I, Scott and I yeah. uh, have seen the movie but not read the book. So, um, but you know what? We'll get into the book and movie questions later. I want to get to know Aaron okay. first. So, where are you from? I am from the Great Lakes State. Uh, Michigan? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. part of Michigan. My dad's from Michigan. E- well, it, Hazlitt, which is right next to East Lansing. So well, you got to show okay. us on the myth. Yeah. you got to do right that. There, right <laughs> there. All right. Nice little sweet spot. Sure. Uh, My dad's East from uh, Grand Rapids. All right. Yeah. Yep. Um... East Lansing, good film festival. Yeah, I'm yeah. doing. I'm screening yeah. uh, El Desencanto with them in June oh, for sweet. any listeners in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. I know that's a. Uh, I, I don't know uh, why East Lansing has a film festival mm-hmm. that like is 
so rich in like experimental short film and stuff like that. I'm not sure why that is. Um, but I've all, I know I've often gone to back when I, I've kind of fallen off, fallen off going to LA film forum a lot, but like there'd be like another short films and I'll be like premiered at East Lansing. That's, like why, I, that's why I know that's a, the Lansing film festival. Um, also that's where, uh, Richard Linklater's tape. Huh? Uh, it right. takes place in Lansing because the uh, what's his name from Dead Boat Society uh, that actor Ethan Hawke mm-hmm. no the other one uh, Robert Sean Leonard sure <laughs> he's a filmmaker who's there with a film okay. that's mm-hmm. the premise he's back in town with a film anyway see how see it's so did you <laughs> is that how you got into movies going to the Lansing no Film Festival? I don't know how I got into movies I think well, it was the boredom of growing up in yeah, sure. Michigan <laughs> and so you look for things to do yeah and I, yeah. Rem- I remember watching somehow I think we went to the video store without my mom and got kids when oh, I was yeah. like nice. 12 <laughs> and then my mom was really upset when we, she, she found out we'd watch it so a lot of that kind of thing a lot of movie watching in the basement because uh, there was nothing else to do I remember asking my mom if I could see kids and she was like what is it and so <laughs> it's about I, kids <laughs> I, I tried to explain it in the terms of I was like well it's rated R but um, in terms of like, it's a was it rated? I wasn't. It, it might have been unrated or NC seventeen or something. But I was like, but I, I was like not allowed to watch. Or my my parents, my parents were very strict. But I was like trying to sell it in terms of like it's an important like social sure. drama. Mm-hmm. It's about issues that kids face. And my mom was like, well, maybe we should watch it together. <laughs> <laughs> and I suddenly lost interest in seeing. Yeah, kids. remarkable how that good, turns around. That's uh, a good technique. She knew, yeah. she knew what she was doing. Yeah. Uh, and so, what brought you to California? Um, what brought me to California? I was living in Spain in 2012. Oh, so I, I skipped an interesting yeah, part. Yeah, yeah, well, that's actually, and that I had actually just discovered El Desencanto, but my wife and I were, yeah, we were living in Madrid. The economic crisis there was, you know, Spain was really just, you know, it was a hard place to be at that time. And then my wife's green card had just come through. And so we moved to LA. We were here for five years. We had some friends here, but I also had a brief flirtation with screenwriting, which actually happened when I did when I was in Spain, it started, I wrote a screenplay with my best friend who had gone to the UCLA mm-hmm. MFA program and sort of like, you know, I was just like, we were living in a tiny studio in Madrid. I was completely broke and then wrote this screenplay on a lark. And then we suddenly had like a manager, an agent and a lawyer. And I flew here for like a week of meetings and I'm just oh, like, nice. oh, I'm going to be like, you know, like rich in no time. <laughs> so, so when it was time for us to leave Spain, we looked at a couple different places, settled on LA. I'll, we were kind of between New York and LA and everyone just seemed happier in LA or even with <laughs> everyone was like, yeah, I'm still miserable, but it's sunny when yeah. you go outside. Yeah. Um, so we decided that's to go. why like, uh, like New York loves to talk shit. New Yorkers love to talk shit about yeah. Angelino's, uh, San Franciscans love to talk to you about Angelinos, you know, but we're too happy uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to, to talk to you about anybody. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, because Los Angeles, uh, people, uh, the, the LA San Francisco thing is a big thing where San Franciscans are like, oh, fucking Los Angeles. And right. Angelinos are like, oh, we love San Francisco. <laughs> we love going up there. <laughs> we love going and, to New York. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's because we're happier here. <laughs> right, we don't right. have that chip on our. On our and, I lo- and I loved it. I yeah. lived here for five years and completely loved it. And the screenwriting thing didn't work out. I just couldn't, I couldn't really, it just wasn't for me. I'll the meetings and mm-hmm. all the, the bullshit um, mm-hmm. just wasn't my thing and and I had always been a book 
book guy first, even though I was, had, you know, really loved, you know, movies. Um, and then th- this book kind of came together. I found a publisher and I turned to that. Although I'm going to be writing a pilot of my book oh, for really? a producer um, who's we're looking at a sort of international kind of production. You know, now that. Roma has done so well uh-huh. and it's kind of Spanish language drama like that seems viable and Netflix just bought the rights to a hundred years of solitude okay. that it seems like there's some possibilities. So I'll write the pilot and then who knows what the, right. what the hell happens. <laughs> so the pilot is about the Panero family. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of, yeah, it's almost like we're pitching it kind of like, you know, they're not a crime family, but how the Godfather is this really powerful story. You know, it's about crime and it's about a time and a place, but it's also just about family. Yeah. This book, you know, my book's about poetry. It's about Spanish history, but also it's just about a family navigating the the times. It also, I mean, the Godfather makes sense, but there's a lot of Royal Tenenbaums connections you can make with this family. Definitely. It is kind of like. Royal Tenenbaums or the Glass family right. from Salinger, totally. So, so how'd you come to this family as a topic for the book? So, yeah, so we were living in Madrid in 2012, and we'd been in Spain. My wife and I met in Guatemala, then we'd been in Spain for about three years. Um, and my friend Javi, who's actually a judge, but his sort of secret life is he's the most obsessive, um, cinephile that I know. <laughs> and so he, and you know, we'd known each other for a while now and he knew I was really into books, really into yeah, into movies. So he's like, you invited us over one day to his house to just watch this documentary. He's like, you're gonna, I'm not, I don't want to tell you that much. It's about this crazy family of poets. It's a kind of famous film in Spain. And I think you're going to like it and so yeah so we would just watch his apartment and i was just sort of came out of there like what the hell was that you know it's just this eccentric family they all speak brilliantly they're deeply fucked up uh-huh. and you know as it turns out it's this it had played a really important historical role in spain transition to democracy so i just was like what what is this and i was also reading i don't know if you've read any roberto bolaño this chilean novelist who wrote savage detectives 2666 in the last 15 years in english he's been yeah this huge writer who writes about sort of crazy poets and fascists and history and and i felt like the the movie was like an uh, a bolaño novel and so i actually went home and the first thing i did was like you know googled bolaño and el desencanto and then it turned out bolaño had actually fictionalized one of the sons in mm. a couple of his novels oh. so where i was thinking you know this felt like something stolen from bolaño's imagination bolaño had stolen right. from some aspects of this movie so yeah from there i just got yeah, I just got super obsessed. I wrote a piece uh, for the Believer magazine about El Desencanto, and I interviewed the director and a couple other people. And from there, over a couple more years, I sort of realized, like, am I am I writing a book about yeah. this? And then, and I was. Well, let's uh, for the listeners. Let's take a step back. Who uh, who was Leopoldo Pinero, and what is who was the who are the family? Right. Yes. Yeah. And, and just kind of the film. So so Leopold, Leopoldo Pinero was. Um, a Spanish poet. He was a communist poet before the Spanish Civil War. So in the 1930s in Madrid, he was friends with Pablo Neruda, Federico Garcia Lorca, all these big guys in, the, in this very vibrant, mostly leftist scene in Madrid. So then there, you know, Franco and other generals rose up against the Republic. Um, Leopoldo Paneda was caught outside of Madrid in one of the territories that went to Franco. So um, 
what a lot of people, I mean, geography sort of determined your destiny in a lot of ways of where you got caught. And that was the case with Leopoldo Panero. He, his brother joined up with Franco's forces just out of, you know, a survival need. Mm-hmm. And then Leopoldo Panero didn't, and he ended up getting taken to jail and was on the verge of being executed, except that his mother was a distant cousin of uh, Franco's wife. Oh, so wow. got him out right before he was executed. And then he joined Franco's army in order to survive. But then by the end of it, either out of, you know, sort of this comradeship or survival and pragmatism or some sort of seduction toward that, the other side, he was writing fascist poetry by the end of the war. Hmm. Um, and then gradually, although he didn't support he, he wasn't a fascist in the sense of supporting the Nazis. He was actually rooting for the British during the World War II because he had he had studied there in college. But he gradually over the year, years be, rose up the ranks in the the Franco cultural establishment. You know, like as a poet who celebrated for conservative poetry about you know for the family and God and the, mm-hmm. na- the nation. And then he was also kind of an art czar who was running literary magazines and um, kind of diplomatic gatherings of artists and and writers um so that's who he was the legacy and then he married a woman named felicidad blanc who was this known throughout madrid uh she grew up from a wealthy family in madrid and was known for being really beautiful and but she was just this very sort of uh, she was a dreamer who was so in love with reading that she really just wanted life to be the novel that it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then it was sort of like this, they were very badly matched, I think as a married couple, but very well matched as literarily. So mm-hmm. he was a, a guy who liked to romanticize life just like she did. And so he was looking for a muse. She was sort of this, the process of being transformed into a poem completely seduced her. Mm -hmm. And so they got married and had a very, uh, unhappy marriage and produced three very unhappy children (laughs) 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 who then, and so the, this Encanto is, uh, 12 years after Leopoldo Panero's death in 1962 In 1974, mom and the three sons get together and they kind of, they air all the dirty laundry from the family. They talk, they tell the real story about the father. They tell some lies. There's some competing narratives and it's just, I'd be curious what your guys impression. I've seen it so many times and well, the have thing all I want to context. The thing I want to mention that the, is that the, these interviews with uh, the directors, Jaime Chavari, mm-hmm. um, is happening, or at least the movie makes it seem that it's happening at the time of the, the dedication of a statue of the right. Panero in the town Agrosta? Astoria. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the other time is, yeah, it's 12 years after Panero, Panero has died, but it's right after Franco died, right? Or so they were filming right before and as he was dying, basically, okay. and then the film came out right the year after he died, which is which we can come to later, kind of defined the way the film was received. Yeah, it certainly uh, informed the way that I watched it. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it's, uh, Scott and I, uh, <laughs> watched the movie, um, not together separately. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought it was, uh, really fascinating. Um, very, very funny in a, mm-hmm. in, yeah, a in a dark way. It's whole, dark, it's whole, very it's sad yeah. way. And it reminded me, it just, it's, I almost had to remind myself as a documentary because mm-hmm. I feel like there are so many movies about 
like uh, I guess you'd call these people aristocrats. They're sort of uh, maybe like intellectual or artistic aristocrats. Right. They no longer had any money, and that's sort of like this. It's just right. a family the, in decline, but they definitely have the air of aristocrats. And, yeah, so. and I feel like so many movies about 20th century aristocrats or people like that uh, have the, one of the things that the families trade in or thrive on is an ability to be almost emotionlessly cruel to one another <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to, to be in a weird way, very self-aware and self-assessing, mm-hmm. but also not really willing to do anything about it as if right. from an intellect, as if the intellectualism is in and itself, like right. recognizing the way that I am terrible or the way that my, <laughs> my upbringing is terrible is enough. Right. And, yeah. and just talking about it is all we're going to do. We're not mm. going to go to therapy or anything. Right, right. <laughs> we're just going to make these digs at each other and smoke cigarettes. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and so, um, I thought the movie was uh, really fascinating, funny. Scott, what did, what did you think? Yeah. I mean, it was a little tough to get, into was the history of the family no, better known in Spain at the time because I feel like the film doesn't get into so much what you just talked yeah, about. Well, yeah, and that's why when I've been screening it, um, I've been giving about a five minute introduction because yeah. I think they don't they, in the movie they never tell you Leopoldo Panero, the father who's dead, was a communist and became a fascist. And right, you, exactly. You start intuiting. Like I got that he like had some fascist ties yeah. clearly, but that was about the extent of it. But also yeah. that even after his fascist ties, he was still would sometimes I guess get under Franco's skin because he was like communicating with mm. the leftist poets and stuff who had right. been, who had been yeah, exiled. Yeah. Cause yeah, he wasn't sort of completely black and white in okay. terms of, yeah. And that comes bad, up. In, yeah. uh, you know, they're bad. I'm good. And yeah. It, so he, yeah, he, that's why it's interesting. He's kind of a smudgy, difficult figure. Mm-hmm. And so people did know, who he was. I think he was starting to fall in obscurity then, but I think the, the film then is, it debuted in Madrid and mm-hmm. then started getting more attention. So I think it was rippling out. And then when it started being appearing at regional theory theaters, people were sort of the, f- the story of the family was getting revived. Yeah. yeah. But it is, you know, it's almost like I wish I could do an annotated version sure. of the <laughs> film. Cause there's so many cultural references. I've seen it so many times now and I know every single Mm-hmm. reference but it's taken it's taken a while yeah, yeah. i mean i read your article in uh, believer mm-hmm. is very helpful in terms of elucidating <laughs> a lot of this uh, but one of the interesting things that found that you mentioned is that it started as a short film and right. you kind of get that feeling of he just got carried along with yeah, the yeah. depth of the story that it, like it seems very casual at the start but it just keeps unfolding in weirder and weirder ways and they mm-hmm. keep making these offhand remarks are like wait suddenly there's incest perhaps <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. it really sneaks up. yeah like yeah. the incest stuff sort of like well what are what are they talking about yeah, yeah. One, one of the things I found funny uh, unless I'm mistaken I don't think there's any one shot where the mother and all three of the sons are on right. screen at the yeah. same time. Yeah, there was very there's strict rules. Or Leopoldo, the Leopoldo Maria, and the middle son Juan Luis, the, the first son, refused to appear on camera <laughs> together. And at first, the mother didn't want to appear with any of them, where it wasn't scripted in some way. And oh, then wow. I think Gret, because I mean, I think she they were all very aware, aware that there was going to be competing narratives, and yeah. you know, they'd all been spent how many meals together, shouting over each other and or you know getting burned in front of the others so i think they all were very cautious but then you know we can talk about later but that climactic scene in the in at the school where the sons went to the italian lyceum um then you see it it all comes out the mother and the two younger sons yeah yeah. it's a very long uh, sequence yeah it's fantastic 
Uh, now you mentioned earlier that the movie was popular in Spain. In what way? Like, is it, is it a, is it a cult hit? It is, is, it, is, it is a cult. Okay. You know, I think nowadays it's for, you know, kind of literary people or film people. Okay. Or, or people who are kind of, you know, interested in cultural stuff and then they'll catch it and be like, whoa. Because it plays on the Sp- uh, Spanish national television uh, usually maybe twice a year. I mean, it, people, it's still, you know, it's, you can always find DVDs of it and okay. people are always writing about the family and blogs and it's just kind of... I'm trying to think, you know, I, I would think it's more well-known than Grey Garden. You know, Grey Gardens here, I okay. think, is really only among, you know, okay. cinephiles for the most part these days. I, yeah, would, I, I think know. it's... Well, I, I guess now um, uh, Broadway people know it, right? right <laughs> yeah, yeah, they make sure. a musical or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah. But so... Well, they, they should make a Pinedo musical. Yeah. Just, uh, well, just, uh, I, I think I'm looking at the guy who needs to write that. <laughs> but, but yeah, so it, it's famous in the sense of cult, uh, yeah. cult famous. And in the moment when it came out, it was, a, it was kind of a scandal. So I think it, I'm trying to think of a, uh, a comparison for that, but it kind of had this big flash when it came out of upsetting people. What were people upset about? So yeah, it came out in 1976 where Spain Spain went through this three-year transition from Franco died in 1975 and they didn't establish democracy until 1978. This came out in 1976 and so it was a moment where people were really kind of battling trying to figure out the future of Spain, but that, that so much of the future of Spain had to do with the past of how are we going to deal with, you know, war criminals who are still alive and even mm-hmm. on both sides and want to be involved in the political process. How do we talk about the dead father figure, Franco, who repressed, you know, cultural memory and there was, you know, kind of um, imposed a certain version of history. So all that stuff was kind of boiling beneath the surface. And then the, the film, El Desencanto, was read very metaphorically because it's, you have the chil- the children of a dictatorial father uh-huh. who has died and now they're talking about the legacy and the meaning of the family and talking about the past without really any reservation. So people read it as, well, I mean, there's also just cultural mores like, you know, don't talk bad about the dead, don't talk bad about the father, these deeply embedded Spanish values. Right. So they were sort of violating all this stuff and then it kind of, it felt like this really some people really a really sacrilegious display of what they did and other people i think it felt like this huge uh you know release valve where it was like okay finally people are talking about the rottenness that all of us have lived with for so long because i mean the bonitos they talk about so many taboos like i would say the biggest taboo which i think even today is really people really uncomfortable with is suicide which comes out throughout the whole film and suicide Mm -hmm. attempts obviously incest still still a taboo (laughs) but they they're more playing with in a literary way they weren't actually incestuous they just like to talk about being attracted to their mom which is (laughs) still i mean that's still pretty (laughs) still strange yeah, but yeah, yeah it's so offhanded that you're yeah, like how well, did this go yeah. <laughs> but then that, you know but them also talking about drug use about you know political protests and being thrown in jail and solitary confinement and you know insanity it was you know pretty wild stuff to be talking about so without inhib- inhibition in 1976 in spain the year after a repressive catholic dictator dies so the the parts that i and i guess the cold fans of it find funny today <laughs> right was it seen as that at the were the people laughing at, I, it at the time I, yeah i think so okay. you know i i i think a certain 
you know, probably young people, okay. I, th- I think, because, you know, I've in, a, in my book, I reconstruct the opening in this theater in Madrid, and it's from interviews with a bunch of people who were there the way I reconstructed, and a lot of them were Michi, the middle, or the youngest son's friends, and, you know, okay. they talk about that as, like, a really joyous occasion and how, how happy Michi was. So I think you probably had, on the one hand, people laughing, and then there was other people who were friends more of Leopoldo Panero in from that generation who were leaving the the theater wow. during the the premiere because they were so offended. Do you know why the family agreed to do this? <laughs> because yeah. they they come across at once like very unguarded and also like they've thought about saying all of this their entire lives. Yeah, that's so a great it's point. a really well, strange energy. I mean, that first interview between that's the older brother <laughs> yeah. and the uh, is Michi it the older and, and, Luis, the and the youngest? youngest. Yeah, yeah, where they're actually talking about about the, about the, the film. film. Yeah, and it's, it's, an argument. it's yeah. meta basically from the first moment they're yeah. talking about because originally Leopoldo Maria, the middle son, who ends up being sort of the star of the film, he wasn't he didn't want to do the film. So this and like you said, this film started as a twenty minute short. They did this first filming in August of 1974. Then they took a break. They felt like there was more to do. And so then you see they start filming later. Their, their hair has, okay, yeah, their hair has that changed out. out. Yeah, so they film kind of on, on and off for um, for a year and a half. So, uh, and then Leopoldo Maria, the middle brother, ends up getting involved. But that, there's this you know great scene at the start where they're, Michi and Juan Luis are drunk and <laughs> yeah. talking really fast and gesturing crazy. wildly. Yeah, wildly. <laughs> um, and, and they're talking about what it means that Leopoldo Maria isn't in the film and of course then he ends up being in <laughs> right. the film so yeah it's that's it's interesting that they break down the fourth wall right away and then it almost seems like the fourth wall gets erected so I know. kind of stepped on Scott's question mm-hmm. what why did they agree like what, well, why what, yeah what, why did they agree um you know I think partly for money they did get paid okay. oh, and, okay. and, and, the, and they I mean and it's interesting they ended up winning some everyone knew it was a documentary you know but they ended up winning an acting award that year because <laughs> uh, I guess the award didn't distinguish between it was just de- performance performance yeah, exactly, which right. I think is probably uh, uh, it's kind of cool in the sense of being more honest about we did we act like documentaries don't have an element sure. of performance yeah. and so many do especially uh, with these type of right like, personalities person, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, artistic yeah who are very aware of self-presentation yeah, yeah so yeah. i think partly they did it for money part and i think so michi had always wanted he kind of was like a, a college dropout he did a bunch mm-hmm. of different majors but he was kind of like too he had too high opinion of himself and was like <laughs> too good looking to ever like finish a degree right? <laughs> that's the youngest son <laughs> yeah that's, I can't yeah. Keep him that's yeah. the youngest son okay yeah that's the youngest son so he um, but he always want he loved film and he later became a, a television critic for a newspaper so he always wanted to make a film about some of his mother's old stories and so there was kind of that idea planted and there's some ambiguity about how the film actually started this and kind of who suggested it to who but you know somehow between Michi Elias Querejeta who was a producer who did you know Spirit of the Beehive mm-hmm. and you know most of these yeah. legendary Spanish films from that time and then Jaime Chauri the director somehow it kind of came into being and I think the family did it partly because they were already kind of a bit obsessed with their legacy their their uh, their their mythology and they saw this as a, an opportunity to tell their story and I don't I don't think they necessarily knew 
how far down the rabbit hole they were sure. they were gonna go yeah. because partly you know the big the at one point they stopped filming when they were close to the end because you know they're rank exhibitionists completely you know <laughs> um that i kind of i've been calling them the pre-kardashian kardashians yeah. um and yet there was a moment where you know they've been in astotica filming for a while in the, this old family house and drinking a lot and there was a moment where they felt like they had gone too far and they'd been tricked into saying too much and with you know with no inhibition and they just felt uncomfortable with it. And they were kind of freaked out with it. Jaime Chowdhury, the director. So Elias Kereheta had to come and kind of do, I guess what a producer does, which is just get, uh-huh. get things, the production back on track. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think they were dancing back and forth between having control, not having control. And same for Jaime, the, the director who I've spent a lot of time with. And it's, he still has very vivid memories of this, of making this movie. Uh, okay, well, that, uh, you just mentioned uh, the the director that gives me brings me to the next thing I wanted to ask. So it was the actual process of that you went underwent to get it to the U.S. Right. Why why was it never distributed in the U.S.? Probably because it's too. Uh, yeah, I don't know though because it's like so many odd movies. At least maybe you know don't you know a lot of odd movies maybe they never get to be shown in theater but they end up in you know criterion or like or something so to me it is a little mysterious about why it never happened because actually the last couple years it's been playing at different film festivals like copenhagen international film festival just played lisbon somewhere else and like people are loving it because it's in it's like this rumor that people have heard about (laughs) you know uh, so I don't know. Jaime, the director, has the theory that because he's he's well. One time we were talking, and I called him an auteur, and he was like, "Oh, you're one of the people who call me an auteur because he's he's like I've done a lot of movies for hire, uh-huh. so a lot of people don't see me that way. I've written written some of my own films. I've done stuff." for a payday and so his theory was because he didn't the the film didn't kind of fit within a a life a lifetime cinematic vision that maybe the criterion would have acquired his whole body of work and it all presented some kind of coherent aesthetic he thought that was part of the reason why it never got picked up but yeah yeah i'm not sure exactly what was your process my process was love the film wrote the believer article and the believer article made me feel like okay you know believer's a cool magazine it's got that this small but passionate fan base of people who are like in like you guys who are into weird shit like this and can (laughs) and can get into it so i felt like you know i want to share this with more weirdos like me i think there's at least a thousand of them in the u.s Uh or, or more um and so i actually first contacted the so Jaime gave me the the email of the guy who owns it, who is Enrique Cerezo, who's the owner of the Madrid Athletic Atletico soccer team. Oh. So he's just an incredibly rich guy who owns seventy percent of Spanish, Spanish cinema. Oh wow! Um, wow! So what he the, his stories? He I think from what Jaime said told me he owned a video store. I don't know when this was forty fifty years ago, and then just realized that all of of these Spanish movies, no one owned them anymore or the rights you could buy the rights for like $5. (laughs) So he just started buying and buying and buying. And now, you know, he owns a a soccer team Uh and, uh, and 70% of Spanish, um, 
of <laughs> Spanish cinema. So I got in touch with his company and we kind of went back and back, back and forth for several years of like, they could tell that I was passionate about this. Obviously it wasn't going to be a big payday for them. <laughs> you know, I, was, uh-huh. I had very, I, you know, I didn't want to take that much risk in a- acquiring it. So we went back and forth. And then finally, when the year before the book was coming out, uh, so I guess this was just last, yeah, last year, 2018, I kind of was like, okay, I'm finally ready to cough up a bit of money. Can we, but can we be realistic about, uh-huh. I mean, I'm, I'm, all I'm really going to do is be using it to get the word about my book and showing it weird, it weird places here and there. So we came to an agreement and then, yeah. And then I, you know, I know nothing about the digital side of things or the distribution or anything. So I just kind of have been figuring it out. And luckily, you know, a lot of people have been really open to, I've shown it to, you know, film forum in New York at the Roxy in Philadelphia, that's coming up in the Roxy in San Francisco. I should have this great place called the um, Zotropolis in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, a really cool place. And there's been, you know, the film forum screening was almost full, which was great. And the others have been sort of screenings of maybe 40 people, but really engaged. And, and then there's some screenings without me last night. It played at the Mocha Jacksonville tomorrow. It's playing at the Cleveland museum of art. So when I can, oh, wow. when I can go there, I'm going to do kind of introductions and Q and A's. And then when I can't, I send a little video of me. It's like kind of giving the spiel that I gave you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so these uh, these screenings that you have been to, yeah. What are the American audiences responding to the most? Right, yeah. So Film Form was the first screening, and that was well the most gratifying because it was the first one. There was such a big crowd. There was a line out the door before it started, and I, I gave a little introduction, you know, providing some of this context. In they they definitely got it in the sense of like there's stuff to laugh at, you know, and there's stuff to squirm at. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously this, the, the squirming and the laughter are often the same thing. So, you know, they got a kick out of, you know, each of the, each of the members of the family is, is a character and they're yeah. very, you know, especially Juan Luis, the, the, the oldest son who, who said in his memoir, he said something like, um, my family was making up, uh, uh, psychodrama and I was trying to make cinema. So, <laughs> so he, he's very, you know, clearly putting on a mask and playing a character, but they're also aware of self self presentation that they're all characters. So people just got a kick out of some of the ridiculous things they say. And just the, you know, it was really, there was some fun moments of seeing like, Oh, I hadn't realized how hilarious that is. Like when they're to Leopoldo Maria, the middle son who's, you know, been in jail and mental institutions and used drugs. And he's just kind of a mess. He says something to his mother, like, you know, well, I think I'm a complete failure, but I also think, uh, failure is the oh, most yeah. resplendent victory. <laughs> and, then, and then she goes, yeah, I agree. And then, and then everyone cracked up. So there's a couple moments like that where, you know, I, I knew when, you know, when Juan Luis talks about 
he, he how it turned him on to be confused you know that a waiter thought he was his mother's gigolo oh and, yeah yeah and that turned him on sexually you know like i knew people would laugh at that because it's like what is going on here and the, the you know and the crazy um that kind con- that first conversation that opens a movie yeah. where they're outside drinking and they're just yelling at each other and, and gesturing i knew people would find that funny and they did the the funniest to me the and i talked about it with people who listened to my the movie journal episode when i started watching the movie um the part with the old, oldest son giving the inventory of the things that he yeah, yeah, carries yeah. on his person all the time. <laughs> Which he calls it's, fetishes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that part was so funny. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the switchblade. The, the, the switch thing, which has saved my life twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no more no explanation. Yeah. And then the, uh, the reason he likes F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which, if you didn't listen to the episode, it's because F. Scott Fitzgerald is an alcoholic like myself so, who had a horrible wife like, like myself. myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so people got a kick out of that and then you know it was satisfying too at the end because there is this climactic scene where Leopoldo Maria confronts his mother really quite abrasively about mistakes he feels that she made about putting him in a mental institution how she responded to that and then her defending herself saying you know well I was out of my depth as a mother that come up in another age you guys were doing things that we didn't do and I didn't know how to do it it's a really intense scene and all the screenings it's like you can feel the audience's whole focus just narrow in on that movie because I think Jaime, the director, does an interesting thing there is it gets like kind of boring for about two minutes before that because uh-huh. they're talking about like childhood games they used to play oh, yeah. and you start it's like you start to get a little bit antsy of like okay like the, it's losing interest a little bit and then all of a sudden it's like the beating heart of the movie appears and in each each screening I could feel the audience is just like getting pulled in yeah. and it got super quiet and people are realizing, Oh my God, there's this really powerful confrontation of a family sort of, you know, battling its demons here. And that was really cool to see. Yeah. I mean, some of that stuff that like the failure line you brought up reminded me of like a, a Max Fisher thing in Rushmore or right, <laughs> like yeah, a Noah yeah, Baumbach yeah, line you're, 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 which totally have the right. similar energy where it's like funny for a while until it gets real right and absolutely so I mean especially for a New York audience I feel like that's kind of catnip yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true uh, so to what extent I mean uh, Jaime Chavarri is that mm-hmm. how you say it? yeah I, I know my accent is no, very good <laughs> I mean, obviously, he's a uh, talented, smart, self-aware guy. So he knew that what he was putting on film was funny. But the parts you talked about, the gigolo thing or basically everything I've said, including, oh, there's a story about uh, puppies Uh, that is shockingly (laughs) pitch black kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, people laughed at that, too. in, In 1976, that the dark parts of those of that comedy must have been even darker yeah, yeah. like and how, more uncomfortable so i mean was he re, was he trying to be uh provocative in that way you know yeah well stuff? i think i think he was i don't know if he was trying to be product, provocative but there was no way he couldn't be provocative and make a movie about the panado family so it was sort of like he knew this was provocative stuff but it kind of it it all it all was and i think he was i think his thing was he was just trying to figure out the order of everything mm-hmm. you know it's it's you know again filmed over a year and a half i think he lost a sense of things and he had to go through i don't know six or eight hours of footage and then you know 
it, it's kind of like a linear movie that isn't really linear. It gives you a linear yeah, sure. sense. It, there's a feeling of progression, but at the same time, it's all fragments. That yeah. are well, because together. they're jumping around so much right. from like different eras in their lives. Right. And then like they'll go from childhood to them being in prison. It's like, wait, are these two like happening side by side where they're <laughs> yeah. thrown into prison as children? Which yeah. they feel like they kind of were when they talk about their school upbringing and <laughs> right. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's really... So I think I think Jaime was really just trying to figure out the 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 best way to make it all coherent in some ways. And I think for him, probably the whole thing had lost the, the humor actually, cause he was so sick of the Bonito family. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, cause that, you know, they made a follow up uh, kind of where are they now documentary 20 years later about the family. Oh. And you know, he had the opportunity to make it and he was not, <laughs> okay. he did not want to go on the Panero, uh, ride the Panero bull again. Well, I'm going to come back to that, <laughs> but I want to stick to, uh, I, I worry, uh, Sometimes with movies like this or Great Gardens or like American movie, like these funny documentaries, sometimes, and it's not my business how other people are, the morality of how other people are enjoying something. But sometimes I wonder, are people laughing at like, Uh, is it a a bit mean spirited Mm -hmm. or callous? to laugh at this. I, and I'm just being self-serving by saying like, no, I can laugh because I also (laughs) empathize or whatever. Uh, but, um, uh, I I don't know if you've, how that, uh, how that element, that sort of schadenfreude element plays with the the Spanish audience and with the American audience. I don't don't think cause there's, I think, you know, that kind of feeling bad about laughing is maybe when you see, there's you're you're laughing at someone's vulnerability and i think that's uncomfortable but there's something about the panados that they invite it because they're just they're just poking you in the eye or poking spanish culture and they're pretending or each other yeah Yeah. or each other (laughs) and they're pretending they're not vulnerable in a sense so i don't i don't think there's a cruel laugh that's how i feel i don't think there's a cruel laughter in in the audience and because i think it's just sometimes it's so tongue-in-cheek like the the incest stuff is total tongue in cheek. Uh-huh. It's like, come on, like I don't mean this, but I, but isn't it funny that I say, you know, yeah. I want to have sex with my mom. Um, that's that's how, that's how I feel. That it's provocative, but you um, know, yeah, that reminds me of. Um uh, now I'm forgetting the director's name, but the the comedy that movie with Tim Heidecker uh, a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, that's t- speaking of an uncomfortable movie. Yeah, yeah. but he f- that character feels like he could yeah, come oh from God. the same sort oh of primordial so, I stuff hadn't as thought these about guys. That. You are so right. Like he could have. Yeah, he could. He's like a Panero descendant. Yeah, you're completely right. Okay, so speaking of that, I want to hear about this follow up documentary and yeah. just I don't I don't want to give away too much of your book, but what, right. what's what's up with the Paneros in 2019? Right, right. Well, yeah. So the documentary was made 20 years later and it was basically Michi again was the was the engine behind it and I think it was like he was sort of broke he was kind of fading into cultural forgetting and he kind of wanted to be relevant again and so he called Jaime said like why don't you make a movie with me and then Jaime before he was like all right let me think about it and then while he was thinking about it Michi called up another director Ricardo Franco and was like hey do you want to make a movie about me and then then Ricardo was like oh let me check with Jaime first he calls Jaime and is like Michi called me to offer me a movie and Jaime was like well he called me too and so he's like fuck these guys I'm not making this movie so Ricardo Franco is a you know very 
also respected um, director. He he made it, but it's it's a completely different movie. Uh, it's dedicated to Chaim Yitzhakarty because it was sort of like you know it is the sequel in a certain sense. But basically, it's like a very poetic and very depressing. Where are they now? And it's just sort of like well, they're not in a good place. Like they're at least when they made the this Encanto, they were sort of young and. Uh, full of fire and you know yeah the sons of yeah Yeah. exactly and kind of doomed but there's some you know when you're doomed when you're a young person it's like sexy when you're doomed (laughs) when you're like 50 you know it was basically sort of like Leopoldo Maria is sort of like if Jim Morrison had gotten to be you know 50 and no one like that's the middle son yeah okay no one wants to see Jim Morrison yeah when he's 50 it's like you know or Jimi Hendrix like all these people died at age 27 for the cultural the myths that grow up around them 27 is the perfect (laughs) age to die but instead this is like imagine a documentary made about them when they're all like you know just destroyed by hard hard living you know their their myths are starting to you know get a little grisly around the edges so that's what you see is that that where they are now is they're middle-aged and yeah and and there's the history in the past weighs on them a lot it's still got some beautiful moments it's called after uh, after so many years yeah um yeah one of the things that's so interesting about the original is and they even talk about this that they feel like in biologic in their family they're not, they're not designed to work yeah, it's yeah, very exactly. clear throughout the movie that they have nowhere to be yeah. <laughs> it's like most documentaries you get a sense that people are using the documentaries extension to their job and they like dress up well and right. they like put on a show to make it seem like they have something going on it's very clear these people could go weeks and no one would think yeah. no one would really miss them yeah, but they, yeah unlike the the beals like they do look cool like there's right. a certain like sure, they, there's a little fashion like, yeah. yeah so they probably still it, go out yeah. and like yeah. party but and, like and, well they uh, had that aristocratic or you know kind of literary scenester sure, yeah. look but yeah they didn't want they didn't want to work um because it was sort of like they were above that and none of them really i mean they they well leopoldo maria mostly lived in men, you know psychiatric asylums mm. his whole his whole oh, life yeah. um and 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 then michi you know he made some money as a film critic and this and that but he drank it all away yeah and i, and I do think like making of this encanto got him you know drinks paid for for yeah years oh, yeah. and years and years michi is the youngest yeah, i can't yeah. keep them uh, straight uh I was fascinated by his chain smoking specifically because he's wearing clothes that I'm sure like he's like sitting on nice couches, right. like antique furniture and wearing probably like a, in $1975 a $400 sweater. Right. And right. I'm like, don't be careful with your ass. It's like, it makes him yeah, yeah. cooler. It makes exactly. quote unquote cooler that he doesn't care about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I imagine 20 years later yeah, that if he's still chain smoking, that's probably not as cool. Yeah. He's, He's he's in really rough shape, but it, it's still it's still a cool movie in its own right. And I have no idea who owns the rights. I've thought about figuring out. Oh, it's not the it's it's part of the other thirty percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it may be, or I think it's kind of like lost. But I'd be interested in sometime bringing it out. So I want to uh, I want to get to other questions, but that that reminded me of something I wanted to know, and I, I, this could be very dry for some of the listeners. But the the thing that you're showing, I'm it's a DCP, mm-hmm. and is that the, uh, and the, the sorry the soccer guy what's his name uh, Cerezo yeah yeah is that he just had a DCP or did you have to like scan so, actually, something this was like, the, I well I should give full props to film forum here so the Spanish producer threw this um, through his Aspera 
there's okay. a there's sort of a large file transfer service. I oh, think Aspera, called, yeah, Aspera, yeah. So they transferred it. I think it was a MOV file to Film Forum. Film Forum was generating a DCP so they could show it, and then they just gave me okay the DCP. So, mm-hmm. the, but uh, this isn't the, there was no new restoration with the soccer guy. No, or done. I think they, they did restore it. I think maybe before they reissued the DVD a couple of years oh, I ago. See. Okay. Yeah. So you're going from that. Yeah. All right. Cause it looks great. I should say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's yeah. A great looking film to begin with, but the yeah. digital file is really high quality. Yeah. 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 And it's, uh, yeah, it is great looking in a way that it's, uh, there's something, mundane about so much of it it's just people talking right. yeah but then right. every now and then you know, this camera move where like lights pouring in from the back yeah, and, yeah. the yeah. camera's like moving which you don't see in a lot of documentaries that there's interviews so it's yeah there's it's a couple kinda, it gives it kind of like shots, some yeah. uh, romanticism to it it's really interesting when Michi's the, the last scene I think or one of the last scenes when Michi's talking about if the family if there will be they'll reproduce if the, yeah if the bloodline's exactly gonna the scene die, die out and he's sitting smoking in this kitchen in his sweater and the camera starts moving away yeah. and it's you know like it's it's like the family is dying out. He's getting smaller, and there's a yeah. lot of shots like that that are very and well done. The the bookend shots of the as yet unveiled statue, statue the, yeah, which yeah. looks it looks eerie because yeah, it looks yeah. like a corpse or something. Yeah. You well, know? In your review, right, you said something yeah. like you know the sta- the statue of the father could have been a statue of Franco, and it yeah. is. Yeah, it's really well put. And oh, that's thank kind you. of, and I think that was one of the things that <laughs> kind of made the metaphor clear to Spanish audiences because mm. who have they been seeing statues of for oh, yeah. decades right you know Franco among other generals and then here's the statue of the father so did the uh, Paneros reproduce they or died, they, they died out the, they so the, the prophecy that they put out in the, the Desencanto in 1976 came true and they never had any heirs so there there are some cousins distant cousins who had the who have the inherited the estate but the kind of this romantic idea of the line dying out and you know they and they referenced the Wittelbach family which was this Bavarian oh, right, again okay. why I wish I could anna- annotate the whole <laughs> uh-huh. movie because in that oh, that scene in the garden where Michi and Juan Luis are yelling at each other he's like you know you're playing at being a Wittelbach he's like I'm not a fucking Wittelbach <laughs> <laughs> and you know and they're going back and forth and so the first time I saw it I was like what are they talking about like who are the Wittelbach and then of course you know and that again they're playing with this whole idea of like you know, they're aristocrats talking about European royalty. You know, they love to like add that mystique to everything. Uh-huh. So like comparing themselves, you know, instead of just being like, uh, we're impotent because we drank too much. They're like, <laughs> we're like Bavarian Kings, you know? <laughs> and, and that's what I think of almost the whole, what you see on display in the whole film is this reaching towards literary cultural references to elevate their own, Meaning, which is something I actually, in a sense, admire about them because I think, how do we all like you know infuse meaning to our lives when it's just like life is so banal and you know prosaic, and then how it's only in the stories we tell about ourselves that things become a little seem to have more meaning. Yeah, and that scene actually they reference. Uh, I think one of them tries to like himself to Ludwig more than the mm. other guy, um, which made yeah. me think of Visconti in general mm-hmm. um, in terms of just telling stories about like the dying aristocracy right yeah um yeah. and it seems like this is like the more genuine portrait whereas Visconti still held on to like the romantic ideal seems mm-hmm. like the director here saw through <laughs> what yeah. they were trying to present themselves right. as and uh 
just fell into the nitty gritty of it. No, there is. There's something kind of like World War One ish about. Right. Yeah, exactly. Kind of or the themes in this movie about this dying off of supposedly noble people who are actually had a corrupt. Yeah. You know, interior. Is this Chavarri's best known film in Spain? Um, there's um, I think it's translated Bicycles Are for Summer, which okay. is a very well known one. And then he made Camarón a few years ago, which is a biopic about a very famous um, flamenco kind of just amazing musician. It was kind of like he did this flamenco like disco pop rock mix in the, the 70s and 80s and it made a biopic of him. Um, I think that came out in 2005 or something okay. like that. That's also a well-known one. But he he made a lot of films, and he's he appears in a couple Almodovar films oh, okay. <laughs> acting because, like you know, they were all in Madrid at the same time, and a lot of them acted in each other's movies. So where uh, where can people see Odessa Encanto? Where can people see Odessa Encanto? Where can people find out where? To yeah, see <laughs> so they can go to my website. AaronShulman.com. That's S H U L M N. Um, that's where I have the screenings listed, and I add. You know, there's always seem to be more appearing. Um, and for anyone who's in LA, there's a screening at UCLA next week on the on May. 9th at 7.30 p.m. in the Darren Star screening room. Um, and then I'm... Really? Named after... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't know Darren Star had a screening room. Uh, well, he's got money, so he's got a screening room. Uh, yeah, and that's so... That is... I hate when people say only in L.A., but that seems so <laughs> L.A. for Darren Star to have a screening. <laughs> and then I'm hoping to have another screening at a bigger venue, maybe this summer or the fall or next spring, but I'm still Here working. in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. But well, there are more yeah, rolling out. There's Let's see, I've got San Francisco, May 30th, Santa Barbara, May 19th. Yeah, Detroit, I think, is coming together June 22nd. East Lansing, June 23rd. I'm still trying to figure out. Um, Chicago. There's, it's going to play at the Salvador Dali Museum in St. Petersburg, Florida, in the, the fall. Um, so yeah, there's, it's just going to be popping up. And then um, I am, I do have DVDs, but right now I'm just selling them to uh, universities and okay. institutions. So it's uh, absurdly high price for, okay. me to, <laughs> for me to try to make back the money on the rights. <laughs> Well, um, Scott, anything else? No, this was great. Yeah, thank you so much, Aaron. For thank you guys us. for having me. I really um, appreciate it. Again, the website is A-A-R-O-N-S-H-U-L-M-A-N.com. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, anything you want to know about the Panetas in the film, you can uh, you can find in my book. So yeah. that's, that's my last plug, Age, there you of, go. Age of Disenchantments. Uh, and you can re- you go to BattleshipRetention.com. You can re- read my review of the movie. Um, and you can read lots of other reviews, included this week, all kinds of stuff, nonfiction. Great that review, really great. Mm. Um, uh, also, uh, references to Visconti, sure, in nonfiction. <laughs> um, uh, and Longshot is out this week, which I, was a surprise to me. I've never been a Jonathan Levine fan. I think Longshot's great. Right, right. Uh, anyway, those reviews are up there. You can email me at david at You can follow me on Twitter at Davy Pretension. Uh, Scott, where do people find you? Uh, on Twitter at Rail of Tomorrow and at Criterion Cast, where I posted my own review of nonfiction. Uh, and Battleship, of course. Of course. Of course. Um, uh, any Twitter or anything you want to plug? Oh, yeah, plug? just A.M. Shulman. A.M. Shulman. Mm-hmm. So thanks again for being here. 
This was a blast. Thank you guys. This was great. Uh, definitely, if you're if, if El Desencanto is coming to your city, uh, make room for it. Check or it if out. you want to organize a screening, I'm fine. Yeah, with, for sure. I'm fine with doing it just in people's living room. It's <laughs> yeah. really to me, it's just about finding people who are passionate enough or, or will get it. So yeah, feel free to reach out. Yeah, and then you sell some more books. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's that's the idea. <laughs> well, uh, thanks again for being here. Thank you at home for listening. Uh, David will get you next time. I won't be here. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 